What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my trusty co-host Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, how you doing, man? Doing good, man. Uh, I got nothing. Doing well. <laughs> Happy to be here. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I was looking through the lineup for this week and there's a lot of like interesting stuff we're going to be talking about, but nothing that really like felt super inspiring to me maybe it's just like where i'm at as we're like falling into this like fall after covid summer feeling like you know especially because you put out this uh great video a spoiler free tenant review uh after we recorded our last podcast and now i'm just jealous that i can't see tenant and like i'm super bummed i hear everybody's Mm. talking about it Uh, i don't know i'm feeling yeah Emphasis on the spoiler free. It's really hard to talk about stuff so yeah. fucking vaguely. <laughs> um, well, this week we have a, a couple of music projects. We have a TV project and two movies to talk about. But before we jump right in, hit that subscribe button. If you're watching on YouTube, go to SoundCloud.com slash pod to follow the podcast any way that you want to. And lastly, give us that five-star rating and review on iTunes if you can. We're going to start this week, though, with a, a, a artist that we, we missed the drop, honestly. Aluna. Yeah. Aluna Francis from the musical duo Aluna George dropped her, her first solo project, Renaissance, uh, not, not this past week, two weeks ago. And, you know, why don't we do a quick temperature check, temperature check on Aluna George? Like, where are you at with them as a, as a group? Yeah, big fan. I've always really liked them. Yeah, two albums out. I think they just, they just got they got some shit that hits, man. Uh, that last album I remember from 2016, I liked a lot of those deep cuts. Not about love, mean what I mean. Mediator. Uh, I, it, it just you know it's that UK UK dance music. So this is really mm-hmm. good. And I always thought Aluna was a, a pretty good you know voice on those kind of songs. You know, you think of her on White Noise with Disclosure, and um, obviously. You know you like it. Their debut single became a huge hit after the DJ Snake remix. Mm-hmm. So they, they've had a lot of success at this point and uh, been waiting, obviously, for something. And then, you know, leading up to this Aluna solo album, you learn the reasons why it's a solo album. It's you know, pretty interesting. But yeah, uh, disappointed we missed it last week because I've been a big fan. Yeah, you know, similar to, I usually think about Luna George and Disclosure similarly. I think they mm-hmm. give off very similar vibes. I think they've even done a couple of collaborations together. Um, so it's it's definitely a group that I've always been into, and, and Luna's vocals have really jumped out. Hearing this solo project, did you feel like there was anything on here that really separated Luna, the solo artist, from Luna George, the duo? Not that much. Uh, in the pr- press leading up to this, she talked about the reason why she separated, uh, just for this time anyway, from George Reed, the other half of the duo, is because she wanted to make EDM that is open about uh, its black roots, which is something that's not very common in EDM. You know, it's a a scene that very much has a genesis in like black club music in Europe, but there's not a lot of black people active in it. And she just thought that'd be best if she came at this on her own without George yet. 
I still feel like I got more African influence from Disclosure last week than I mm-hmm. did on this, you know? So this, this, I liked it because it reminded me of what I like about Aluna George, but I don't know if it totally gets where she was hoping it would um, in terms of like uh, showing up the, showing off the influences more openly. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I, I think especially after we've heard a couple of, of artists that are really infusing that African influence into their music disclosure in that EDM way, burner boy, a couple weeks back in uh, a more hip hop way, you know, I, I didn't really hear anything that, would make me hear this album if you didn't tell me it was Luna George and it was just Luna on her own that would say, oh yeah, I could definitely hear that she was the one directing this project. I actually felt like this would have been a really strong Luna George album just in general. I think some of the production on this is really, really interesting and and makes a couple of these songs really pop. Um, But I think there's also a lot of songs that just kind of uh, were pretty forgettable, things I wouldn't find myself going back to so much. yeah, you know, I think one song I really wanted to highlight um, that kind of had a little bit more like that island influence maybe than that African mm-hmm. influence was The Recipe, um, which I thought was a really strong track from it. I also really liked the, the production. Uh, that was Kate Trinata. I was going to say, there was some there were some moments on here. I was like, that sounds a bit like something we, we've heard before from uh, our friend Kay. Um, I also really liked uh, The uh, Warrior, which has like this, trancy echo echoey like chorus to it that i just thought was really popped and really uh made that stand out any tracks that stood out to you that you really enjoyed find yourself going back to yes i really enjoyed both sneak and mm. envious both reminded me of what i like about luna a lot if you yeah. look at this uh you know liner notes on this album luna did uh co-produce many of the songs and of course did, did most of the co-writing as well but you have scott storch on surrender you have kate Trinata, of course you have noah breakfast on off guard previously of chitty bang um you have uh, lido a few times so there's a there's some names sg lewis as well so uh, i think it's pretty interesting and i think aluna's message and the way she's been talking about electronic music and trying to be a active voice in making EDM more inclusive, I think is obviously really admirable and needs to continue. Um, you know, apart from her and Kay Trinata and Flying Lotus, there's really not a whole lot of black people at the top of the game, you know, as no, sad not. as it is, uh, despite how dominant black people are in many other aspects of popular music right now, you know. So mm-hmm. I hope that continues. But yeah, I mean, this this reminded me a lot of Luna George, so I guess that's a good thing. And Definitely looking forward to what's next from her. I think Luna's uh, just a, you know, gen- generally speaking, a pleasant voice to hear on most songs she's on. Definitely, and I think working with those kind of producers are is the way to go. You know, keep um, finding that sound that works for you. Keep finding ways to build the the influence and the the vision into your music, and she, she's gonna be fine. I think she's she's a star for sure. So. Aluna, I think Renaissance is an album worth checking out, especially if you do like Luna George's work. Let's talk about an artist I really was not looking forward to checking out. Takashi 6 9 drops Tattletales, his first album post, uh, I guess, getting out of the feds. Like, what? Yeah. Uh, either, is he still on house arrest or is he was briefly on house arrest after COVID got him out of jail and maybe it's done now. It's about to be done, something like that. I don't know. But yeah, yeah he's... Uh, out in the world again and he's not gonna let you forget it 
That's for sure. <laughs> and um, I mean, we've we've talked a little bit about him since he's gotten out on house arrest. Um, you know, I think there was we talked about how his Instagram live broke yep. the Instagram live record for most people yeah. viewing it. We talked about Nicki Minaj. Man. Yeah. We talked about Nicki Minaj collaborating with him and that, that song appears on this album. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I guess like when you think about Takashi, what's your, what's just like your general opinion of him as an artist? I mean, he's, he's terrible. He sucks. <laughs> so just, he's so detestable as, as a person. And yeah, the worst part about it is, is that he gets success and he knows this. He gets success and maintains his brand by being a disrespectful troll. And either his fans don't realize they're being duped or they don't care and they actually like it, you know? And it's just the worst kind of thing. He's someone with really no uh, artistic style. I think when I think of his music, I think of his early sound when he would just give a really aggressive, uh, fast, you know, flow. And he's getting away from that a lot since those early songs like Gummo. So I think he's even getting away from his strengths. And even when that original stuff wasn't really even that much of a strength, more so a trademark, you know? So strictly musically speaking, I think Tattletales is pretty terrible. Um, <laughs> but like, it's also well in line with what he's trying to do. Tattletales. Honestly, it's a good name for this. He's openly about, yeah, I'm a snitch. Fuck you. What are you going to do about it? And like that's the thing. I think depending on how old you are, how you come about it, a lot of people kind of sympathize with Six Nine and how he like you know turned evidence and didn't owe these people anything. And I think it's probably a bit murkier than uh you know it might seem. You know, like a lot of the, a lot of other rappers are like, oh, he's a snitch, blah blah blah. But they had no problem with him being a asshole troll before that. You know, so mm-hmm. I think surprisingly, Waka Flocka actually had some really uh. Like, uh, astute observations on six nine and where people stand on him but yeah he 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 sucks and it's <laughs> it's frustrating that he finds so much success and he's doing it on a independent distribution label he's not even signed to anybody uh generally very few people are actually associating him with the exception of mickey still perplexing to me why that is and also fucking akon like why'd you why akon why, why, why do we do this man that that was actually the first note I wrote down is uh, just Akon wide. But then you also think about where has Akon been yeah. the last couple of years? He I mean, I get something. him chasing coattails more than Nikki. Nikki didn't need him. And Trolls is a way worse song than Fifi was too. So it's like he didn't need to collab again with this guy. And uh, I mean not 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 to like compare the two on any sort of like awfulness scale but didn't akon also have accusations of hooking up with underage girls and things like that mm, maybe not sure i know I he threw know. a kid off stage once way back in the day that was <sighs> kind of funny but yeah maybe um, <laughs> that was kind of funny um you know it's i i he listening to this album i think i can understand if you are just totally into pop don't really want to interrogate the music that you listen to in any way why you could like this album and why you could like some of the music he makes. I mean, this is at, this is very shallow, very much like this music sounds good, brings in decent production, has some catchy hooks that you might call back to that bring up some nostalgia. But in the end, like there's just really not much below the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, with that said, I will say I did find myself enjoying a couple of songs on this album. I thought mm-hmm. they sounded Okay. Um, and pro- he did probably enough just to kind of keep himself in that limelight. And he also, 
he's the type of person that the controversy surrounding him, his yeah. whole aesthetic, you know, like if you can see Dave's background, he has these rainbow colored hair. Yeah, of and, course. Um, that's really what propels him is I think he, he reaches out to that like Gen Z type crowd that is kind of mm. not really looking to look, look beyond. Like, yeah. All cloud what, is what's right cloud. in their face. Exactly. Um, I'm looking up to see the, what this Akon controversy I was thinking of was, but tell me what, what songs are worked for you on the album or what didn't. Well, you know, just one other thing on that note, um, little Dirk and little TJ both commented that six nines camp offered them money to continue to publicly feud and troll six nine. Like it, it, it is a playbook that six nine and his team are using, you know, and it's so obvious, but again, some people like it or just don't care about it. Um, I mean, I think my favorite song on this is probably the the, the debut single, the comeback single, Gooba. Um, I think the I'm mad, you're mad, I'm back, you're mad, I'm back, big mad, he's mad, she's mad. That's pretty catchy. I think it actually has TikTok appeal. You know, it's, it's a good meme format, I guess. Um, that one's good for that kind of stuff from 6 9 because it's the aggressive stuff. It's more trademark stuff. I think the stuff that's just abjectly terrible is when he does this really washed out autotune and or tries to do singing you know like he collaborated with anwell aa on dummy boy and he's now he's doing some more like light reggaeton on this and he's just really bad at it like that stuff sucks but also like songs like punani like there's just some fucking terrible hooks on this too (laughs) you know it's like it's like the shallow repetitive bars is one thing but if like if people don't like the hooks what are they gonna like about the song you know like if there's Mm -hmm. nothing catchy about it besides like super super repetitive choruses and hooks it's like i don't see the appeal so i yeah i I think this is his worst project you know it's funny i I think the moments i liked most from this are actually akon which is really interesting to think locked up's a banger you know i love locked up is such a good song and just hearing akon singing that again i mean granted it's on an album of a person i don't really support very much but like (laughs) was it was cool to hear and then also hearing him sing the uh the brian adams song heaven um on uh, Leah or L-E-A-H yeah. um, I thought was pretty interesting I also thought Nikki sounded pretty good on her verse, she's brought you know? it two for two with her 6-9 collaborations <laughs> she so really it's, has she and, and killed on Fifi I also thought the the phone recording one GTL I thought that was like decent and it's like oh, actually shit, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's actually like him like doing something you know I, I don't know he also had the oh my god Ronnie on AVA uh, Ava from the Jersey Shore, which I thought was actually pretty funny, like thing to include. But just like all the notes I have here are things that aren't actually things mm-hmm. Six Nine is doing, but that other people are putting in the album or bringing to the album. Yeah, I, I think Oh My God, Ronnie is a uh, Ronnie J's DJ tech actually. Oh, so really? that wasn't even Six Nine. Man. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that um, was Ronnie J. Yeah, that's all that was. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. So um, Ronnie J, uh, get on more tracks just so I can hear that, but. Um, yeah, there's there's just not much here. So I don't know. Uh, we'd recommend not listening to Tattletales if you can. But uh, this is likely to go number one as well, which in a sense is impressive given that he doesn't have major label distribution. But he he has a brand, he has momentum. So we'll see what happens. Someone that hadn't dropped an album in three years, Big Sean. We've heard him on a couple of features. Um, we heard him on an album very recently. Um, who was it? Was it Chopper? Was he on? 
he was out with somebody. But uh, Big Sean, uh, you know, we've been doing a temperature check with everybody else so far. Why don't we do one, one with Big Sean? I mean, if you had asked me early 2010s where I was at with Big Sean, I probably would have said up and coming. Dude is probably primed to be a, a star within the rap field. You know, he's very much in, in line with good music and really he became like, a star. You know, no doubt about that part. And then it just feels like he hasn't really been able to keep up with that early 2010s pace of climbing, growing bigger. And it feels a bit like he's met this plateau in my book. Um, I don't, I haven't really felt like he sounds super inspired on a lot of the things he's been doing in the last couple of years. You know, he hadn't even dropped an album since 2017 um, with I Decided. He also did an album with Metro Boomin, Double or yeah. Nothing that year. Metro One was very bad, by the way. So, I mean, Big Sean, where, where are you at with him? Yeah, so having listening, listened to Detroit 2, the sequel to his uh, acclaimed 2012 mixtape, one of the probably most heralded mixtapes that's still not available on digital streaming services. Um, great tape. I have, I have a lot of songs that I download from that. I listened to those this weekend. They, they still sound really good. Um, I think probably one of the most notable ones is this one called All I Know featuring Wiz Khalifa, which is over the beat of Helicopter by Block Party. So you understand mm. why this mixtape has not uh, been cleared. Um, right, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, I, I now I'm starting to think because I like Detroit too. I'm starting to think about Big Sean the way I think about Meek, someone that hmm. had this really ascendant career uh, uh, jump start into mainstream rap stardom in his early 20s, and then really met a uh, kind of critical creative malaise in his mid 20s, and then kind of bounced back as he turned 30, and is now kind of approaching like young OG status. I think there's starting to be a lot more reverence for Big Sean in the game the way there is for Meek Mill. And that's really cool to me because I, you know, I was really in on, on early Sean. It's kind of funny to revisit some of his really early stuff from like the Finally Famous era because a lot of it does kind of sound dated. It reminds me a lot of kind of the, you know, the last vestige of the blog era in rap, uh, pre-trap, pre-modern mm-hmm. streaming, you know, the rise of Meek, the rise of Drake when Drake was still rising and not yet at the top top, um, the, you know, Cuddy still very active, the rise of Wiz, you know, that time. I have a lot of fond memory for that, obviously, you know, 2010, 2011. And as you said, you know, uh, Sean had went away for several years, basically an eternity in rap, uh, rap terms. But the last time we really heard him, I decided in the Metro collab, not really that great. I think the only time I'd really liked a big Sean performance in several years was that verse on the Cash Doll album, uh, Ready, Set. I think he actually was really great on that. But yeah, I mean, I didn't have high expectations for Detroit to... Or, or, or the next Big Sean album until he called it Detroit too, because that kind of came across as a statement of intent to me and a messaging to the long-term fans that you should care about this project. And I think uh, despite, you know, it's too long, 70 minutes, but uh, I liked it a lot. This is some of the best, I think, Big Sean sounded since Dark Sky Paradise five years ago. Well, I, I would agree. I think this is probably the best he sounded in a very long time. Um, still, I found myself fairly bored and you know when when it's 70 minutes you really got to be bringing the heat to mm-hmm. keep yourself engaged for that amount of time um but i did feel like some of the features on here really worked and i also felt like um a couple of the songs sean sounded more inspired than i had heard him in a while and i think the the clear 
stand out to me from this is the song um, Deep Reverence, which uh, has mm-hmm. Nipsey Hussle on it. Um, I, it just felt like, uh, you know, hearing him talk about his relationship with Kendrick and working through that, hearing right. him talk about suicidal thoughts, hearing him talk about, you know, how he's, he reached this level of fame, but he really didn't feel satisfied with his life. I, I felt like that was the personal type of Sean you want to hear. Whereas like a lot of what his features had become in recent years was just him like bragging about how much money he had, bragging about this or that. And that braggadocious Sean just kind of, I think has become, uh, uninspiring, uninteresting to me. Um, it always hearing... seemed kind of corny from him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why that is. It's not like he's doing it any differently than someone else, but for some reason, it. I don't know. It felt, felt genuine. Like the whole whole come up of his career was him chasing fame, the finally famous mixtapes, right, and then gets fame, finally famous the album, which I thought was pretty good. Um, but then the second album's called Hall of Fame, and that was probably his worst project. And it's like. <laughs> once Sean achieved that like dream after, you know, because he has like a, like mm-hmm. a superhero origin story, right. Getting plucked up by Kanye after a well-timed feature in front of him, you know, it's a great, great come up, but yeah, it like that critical malaise. Like I just feel like he, he didn't know what to say. And I think he had attempted to be lyrical in times, but I just never really wanted to hear it from him. And I still think on this, sometimes like the lyrical message, I still am not super down with Like I think lucky me, uh, has been getting a lot of highlights. That's where he talks about being diagnosed with a heart condition at like 19. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like the takeaway and like really like open, you know, stuff again, similar to talking about his mental health on this. But he also talks about how he's like not about Western medicine because he just used some like holistic like supplements to cure this condition. And I was like, all right, well, I don't know if we need to go with this conclusion, but I'm happy mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're being, being open about this. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I also feel like his delivery at a lot of times comes across as either like lackadaisical or just not super uh, fun or mm-hmm. engaging. Like he'll, he's pretty much monotone, it feels like a lot of the time. But on this album, I think you hear him bringing a little bit more um, feeling to what he's delivering. Um, you know, other than Deep Reverence, what other tracks stood out to you or what, what was uh, things you liked? Yeah, yeah. So I agree that I think all the, just about all the features re- really um, felt good, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't really care for Travis on Lithuania all that much, but I mm-hmm. thought Sean was good on that. Uh, but Body Language, you know, you got Ty Dolla Sign and Janae, mm, Heiko, yeah. two of the most reliable, consistent R&B presences the past decade. Um, obviously, Big Shaw and Janae have a deeper relationship than that. We get the 2088 comeback later on, but uh, I thought I thought that one was really good. Um, honestly, though, one of the big standouts to me was Wolves with Post Malone. I did not expect to like that, but I thought Sean, the hook man, like that—that that is a different kind of feel from him than he's given mm-hmm. before. I thought that really worked, and the Post Malone feature actually felt like it was made for this song, and they had like good chemistry on this which is, you know, obviously not always the case. Like, if you copy and paste the Post Malone verse, it can sound really out of place. Listen to the Tap In mm-hmm. remix that's out now by Saweetie. Don't know where, <laughs> why Post is on that song. It sounds ter- terrible. But on Wolves, I was like, wow, this is, this is interesting to me. This, this, this is a new, a new, a new, new path. Yep. Cool. Um, and then there's other moments as well I liked. Um, it's funny, like on feed, 
you have like briefly like use of Tyler the Creator vocals in the background. And on Don Life, it, it does it again with Meek vocals very briefly. Um, so I like some of those touches. And um, the baddest actually stood out to me because of that beat. I was like, wow, this reminds me of like a 1940s movie villain like score. Like here's the villain, dun dun dun. And like I was like, oh, did Bauer make this? Like this sounds really cool. Oh. Um, and then yeah, I think some of the other songs still uh work pretty good. Uh, like respected, I like Sean on that. I like Guard Your Heart with Anderson Pack. It's really nice to see Early Mac and Key Wayne on this. Long time big Sean collaborators. Um, mm-hmm. Even Wale on Guard Your Heart, I thought was pretty good. Not always the case with Wale. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I agree. I I really liked Wolves. I. I... I was really impressed with how they played off each other in that. And they just both seem to be bringing a ton of energy to that song. I also, you know, I, I go a little bit more for the more melodic, um, like easy listening type stuff. And I thought guard your heart with Anderson pack, you know, kind of mm-hmm. singing the, the chorus and the hook on that was really, really um, a, a big standout for me. I agree with you about Travis on Lithuania. I didn't, I kind of like, got bored with him during that song and just him doing more of the same. How did you yeah. feel about the Wayne feature though? On Don life. That's all right. Yeah. Um, that was one of the ones that didn't work for me. Yeah. I mean, in general, I'm kind of out on little Wayne these days. And like, in terms of like, we got a 21 song album and we cut them on little Wayne. I don't know if we need this, but again, I thought Sean was pretty good on it. Like, I think generally speaking, he's, he, he's, he's trying to bring it as best he can on this. Um, you have those three interludes from Dave Chappelle, Erica Badu and Stevie Wonder. I thought the Chappelle one in particular is probably the most memorable. That's the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, him kind of talking about his experience being a comic in Detroit, you know. Um, and the, the Detroit vibe is something that, like, it's been, like, consistent that Big Sean reps Detroit in his music, but I don't know if we've ever really seen him really try and highlight Detroit all that much apart from the Detroit One mixtape until you get, of course, the Friday Night Cypher on this which brings me back to Detroit versus everybody on Eminem's label compilation, Shady XV. Um, so it's kind of the sequel to that. Um, and it's kind of cool to see some like the, the new younger post big Sean Detroit faces like T Grizzly and cash doll and 42 Doug. And uh, wish we had Danny Brown on this, wish we had TGX uh, six on this, but still, still impressive cipher, you know, I mean, at nine minutes long, like most ciphers, not something you're going to listen to all that much, but it's always kind of cool. It just has like a event posse cut. Yeah. Creation. The, uh, the, the Chappelle story about being too high to deliver his set and just bombing and seeing what well, it was Danny Brown, right. Who was like yeah. walking out the back. It just really made him laugh. Uh, just, uh, that was a great story. I think overall, you know, my expectations going to this were fairly low. And I definitely left way more satisfied than I expected. Um, I do feel like at, at times um, the production could have been a little bit snappier. Like I feel like a couple of songs sure. feel like they're a little bit um, underwhelming sonically, but uh, Big Sean does want to start his own record label now. It was yeah. planning to. So we'll, uh, good, we'll good see. music's fucking dead, bro. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing left. I mean, um, it, it's been dead though. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, I will say that, like, like again, like I'm, I'm happy that Big Sean is seeming to grow and become a more thoughtful guy in his later years. But I mean, if you're looking for bangers, you're looking for hits. Dark Sky Paradise still the place to go. Like we don't have a blessings on here. We don't have a all your fault. I don't fuck with you. You know. So it depends what you want from Sean. You know. 
he's he's got a lot of music out at this point so uh happy happy he's changing up and looking looking forward so that's good speaking of looking forward let's look back at the boy season one and then talk about the newest episodes that dropped the first three of season two we didn't talk about the boys uh when they dropped heard a lot about it heard a lot of good things about the show so we uh we caught up this past weekend or at least i did i think you were already caught up by this weekend dave just give me your your general thoughts on the boys season one and then i want to kind of parlay that into where we're at with season two at this point yeah i like i I like the boys season one a lot I came to it late, which I think a lot of people kind of came to it late, at least like people like critically minded because you get the pitch, right? Oh, superhero TV show from an established IP. Wow. Heard that before. That doesn't sell me like it might've sold me years ago, right? Superheroes, the, 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 the best thing going, right? Like it's, it, it's the golden goose. So like, I'm not, that doesn't immediately grab me. Right. But like people just really rode for a very consistent, uh, warm reception to the show and the boys season one is memorable and good because I think it just does things unlike other uh, shows, movies in the genre. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, the ultra, the grizzly ultra violence stands out, but I do feel like it's actually earned because this is a show that's committed to being dark and committed to having like a nihilistic point of view. Not always the most fun thing to watch, but it always makes sense. And, I also think it's, it's, it's quite committed. You have a cast that all really kind of buy into their place in this story. So I think season one, that, that first episode in particular, I think that's a really good hook. Like if you, if you watch season of episode one, you're probably either in or you're out. You know right away. And, um, you know, in terms of just kind of a basic, kind of simple thought, right? What would happen if the Flash fucking ran through someone and murdered them? Yep. Or manslaughtered them, right? Like, how would you feel? What what would that do to you? Like it's a very simple idea, but it's not something that you've been explored that much, at least on the screen. So, yeah, I was immediately hooked, and I think season one is honestly really good. And and I think what it does that the Marvel movies don't always get to. Like I think they they dance around this concept, but they don't really get to is how a lot of times these superheroes, though some are gifted with the powers, a lot of times. The other ones are have it thrust upon them. You know, you think about Captain America. Um, Steve Rogers wants to be the super soldier and volunteers for that. But then really the only thing we see of, of the conflict for him in this is that he lives forever and the people he cares about die. Um, and, you know, eventually that changes as he goes back in time. Uh, spoiler alert if you haven't seen Infinity or uh, the end game but <laughs> yeah i i really think the idea of what does it mean to like be a superhero in this world where these powers are given to you by your parents or you're created in a lab is a lot more right. interesting than like you know superman comes from another planet and yeah uh, that that's a bit played out and i feel like that kind of character development helps me to understand the actual villains of the show which i feel like most people are pretty somewhere in the middle in the show which i think is also great the characterization it all makes sense to me and i I think they go pretty deep on most characters but someone like homelander who Mm -hmm. is just totally devoid of any sort of nurture or love in his life it kind of shows why he would be this narcissistic sociopath 
you know, and, and psychopath. And like having these godlike powers has led him to just be this incredibly cruel being um, who's manipulating and controlling everything in his life because that's how mm. he felt, you know. And then, um, you know, kind of bringing Aya Cash's character into season two, which we're going to get to a little bit more in a second, I think is a great foil against that as, as he's kind of like, he has to kind of confront himself almost in a way in this other person it's right. pretty interesting i also really liked how they had the dynamic of the the non-superhero people who are kind of like the mm-hmm. the villains so so to speak in the yeah. first way carl villains urban jack wade right yeah. but are um actually like the good guys and like that dynamic right. i thought was really interesting yeah i mean homelander is honestly a really terrifying villain Again, like you said, feels really earned. You understand yeah. why he is the way he is, but also the show does a really good job of just kind of highlighting some basic tension about like, yeah, if you're like going up against this dude, like, odds are you're fucked, you know. And I think it did a good job of like uh, explaining reasons why Homelander didn't just immediately find them and murder them all, you mm-hmm. know. But and like the whole thing about the Seven and uh, the Voight Corporation, Voight, Voight Corporation, yep. about how superheroes are an industry that can be mm-hmm. haggled and held withheld over people and it's all a brand and like it's everything you know it's like it's like if amazon had superheroes right it's like it's it, again it's a simple premise but the show does it in such a committed way from the jump that it all just really makes sense and um it's just a, honestly like again it's a dark world but i think it's a world that's really you know, interesting to be in so mm-hmm. and it's funny because like you look at you look, you look at the superheroes right it's like okay we have uh evil superman and wonder woman and flash and aquaman mm-hmm. and i guess uh starlight's like uh supergirl like you know like you, you have obvious analogs to more famous superheroes but like again like that's not really the point of the show so right i find it really really fun no i i think it's great and i i actually think having like the main characters who are obviously homelander starlight uh huey um mm-hmm. the the butcher uh, it, those are like the the four that's centered around but then the the side characters in this you know i, I think about someone like the deep played by chase crawford who uh, his, the way his story develops he's yeah. kind of uh, he's kind of this uh uh, me too movement type of avatar about being on the one side of, of being the awful people who are using this power to victimize and, and brutalize sexually uh, women and, and other people. But then has it happened to him and like how he's dealing with his own mental health issues related to that? Or you have someone like um, the flasher, a the, the mm-hmm. speedster um, who is kind of like this performance enhancing drugs, like and and yeah. the the pressure of pro right. sports, like can't Avatar. become washed, right? <laughs> so it's it's very I think interesting to see how these side characters kind of play out different issues that are, are highlighted in, in culture today. Um, I, th- I think it's really smartly done because those keep my attention as B and C plot uh, B and C plots, but they don't ever I feel like take away from what where the show is going um just like out of curiosity what characters do you find yourself liking the most or or, like looking forward to seeing the most uh i guess starlight's probably the most likable the most like genuinely good Mm -hmm. presence on the show um 
Huey's not far off from that too, but of course he has killed now, yes. you know, see <laughs> translucent is no more. Um, <laughs> yes, I guess, I guess Starlet, you know, like Aaron Moriarty uh, had a small role in Jessica Jones season one. That's how I first knew about her, but I think she's really good presence on the mm-hmm. show. I do, do enjoy her a lot. And honestly, I, um, she, I forgot her name, the, uh, the head of Vought who, uh, kind yeah. of nurtured um homelander quote unquote in season one who then he killed her at the end mm-hmm. uh, kind of looks like kim dickens uh they could definitely be sisters yes. to me i literally <laughs> liked her i thought she was good and you know kind of showing the office politics of the corporation and whatnot and then yeah even playing um, off gene carlos Pizzito a little bit in the finale of season one i, I liked her a lot as well yeah i, I agree I, I was really disappointed actually when she was killed off although i thought it made a lot of sense um i really like kamiko um who is this um like superhero who is kind of created by homelander dropping this chemical or this uh you know this chemical weapon throughout the world and um kind of thrust into this these powers and um then was like a super terrorist so to speak or working with this chinese terrorist organization before she was yeah. captured. I thought that was just a really interesting storyline. And then how that mm-hmm. kind of starts to play out in the first three episodes of season two. I, I really love her arc so far. Yeah. yeah I think that's a really great, uh, really, again, intri- another intriguing idea the show presents that, Oh yeah. Well, when you have this corporation that is, has such a stranglehold on society that's about to infiltrate the military. Yeah. It makes sense that they also would create the supervillains that way they could keep mm-hmm. the forward momentum of their company and their power you know it's like mm-hmm. another terrifying prospect but it makes total sense yep. <laughs> absolutely and also how they're like trying to work their way into the military industrial complexes i think mm-hmm. really a cool like underlying storyline and all this yep. um all right so season one definitely i think we both were pretty big fans how have you liked the first three episodes of season two so far i've seen mixed mixed reception online I mean, yeah, I like it so far. I, I like that the dynamic has changed a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Killed off the head of the corporation. But I think more importantly, the boys are now openly, publicly known as fugitives. The Seven is actively seeking them out. Homelander, mm-hmm. of course, at the front of that. I think that was an important and necessary choice. They couldn't be fighting back against the Seven in the shadows again. It just it would start to become implausible that Homelander and crew just didn't seek them out right you know like mm-hmm. a train's incompetence let them off you know it's like so that needed to change and also i i cash you know she's of course a welcome presence so yeah, yeah i'm in so far I'm, I'm happy that the show is going to week to week for the remainder of the season because i think it's a show that it's popular enough and it's good that we can the conversation can be uh stretched out versus of course uh, all of the season dropping at once like season one did Mm-hmm. I think the first three episodes are doing a lot of table setting for this season. Um, you know, Homelander with his son, um, and uh, I guess the mother of the son, I will we'll say mm-hmm. uh, the butcher's wife. Yeah. Um, I think that's an interesting dynamic and certainly something is going to come of that. Um, I, I think the setup of um, like Huey versus the butcher and them kind of each needing to like, adapt a little bit a little bit of each other's thinking is is a cool setup and something that you're seeing come to fruition already but yeah i think aya cash is the clear like standout to me in this it seems like 
she's going to be this pain in the side of Homelander in some way. I'm, I'm sure that probably won't work out great for her. Um, or they'll end up teaming up and be like this crazy supervillain duo. Um, but I, I think that's really interesting. I do. I, I am curious a bit about what's going to happen with a train. You know, it seems like he's having like some heart issues. Um, or some health issues and i'm also interested to see what happens with the the deep um i think a storyline i'm a little bit out on is uh queen mava or queen mave Mave, Um, yeah yeah hasn't totally grabbed me but we'll see where that goes overall a lot of table setting but i'm still i'm still in even if it's a little slower than last season so i'll be this show has already been ordered for season three i'll be curious to see how long the show keeps up with this like direct conflict between the boys and the seven, because like there's already hints that some members of the seven um, maybe wish they were better people than they, they have acted in the past. Maeve is probably the leader of that, but um, like how, how long will Vaughn mm. and the seven be this kind of overtly uh, evil negative presence due to Homelander? You know, I'm curious to see how long we keep that up. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing, if the show will kind of steer into where a lot of superhero shows go or superhero IP go, which is like these mm-hmm. huge CGI fuck fest, basically, you know, or if right. it's going to kind of keep down on that human level, because um, it does seem like in order for the boys to be really uh, staying a, a compelling uh, and, and worthy uh opponent to Homelander, it, they're going to have to get some of the superheroes on their side to fight back against him. Um, but I think that's going to lead to things just being these CGI fights that maybe sure. aren't going to be as interesting. Going to be going to be cool to see how they kind of uh, balance that. But if you have watched The Boys, drop a comment. Um, let us know your thoughts. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nostalgia Pod. Let's talk about a couple movies real quick, though, Dave. I'm thinking of ending things by Charlie Kaufman, dropped on Netflix. Um, Charlie Kaufman, interesting guy. So he really made it big when he uh, was the writer for the script of Being John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. Um, he's directed movies like Sinning Do- Doce, New York. Probably my favorite movie that he's ever been a part of is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm-hmm. Oscar one, of my, one of my favorite movies just in general. I think it's really well done, but super weird. And... Uh, This is based off a 2016 novel by Ian Reid of the same name. He takes a lot of liberties with this, though, from everything I've read. It seems like he takes the third act, which by Ian Reid's book is pretty straightforward, and Mm -hmm. he goes in a totally different direction with this. Uh, This is a very dense, dense movie. Dense. (laughs) And I I, I think it kind of left me feeling like I need to watch this like three or four more times to get it. That's actually a common refrain. People say it's a very rewarding rewatch, but I don't know if I feel compelled to actually bother. That's the thing is I, I don't know. It's so dense. I don't know if I want to go back and rewatch it. It sounds like you're in the same camp though. Yeah. Well, cause on the surface, there's a lot of things I like. I like there's really only four characters in the movie, right? You have Jesse Buckley and Jesse Plemons as this kind of lifeless romant, uh, romantic couple, right? There's really mm-hmm. no, no, no juice in this relationship. And as the title suggests, uh, Jesse Buckley's character is thinking of ending things. And it's kind First of premeditating this, right? Mm-hmm. And 
they the kind of the banter they have in the beginning of the movie is all in this car, right? Like the banter they have is pretty good, I think, just because they're both such talented performers and Plemons in particular, again, just kind of showing his uh, dependable nature as a, you know, a side piece in any any movie, any role, really, you know, mm-hmm. um, between you know, trading off between these kind of mundane small talk and then also like existential, like really personal thoughts, right? And then we get two other characters showing, right? His 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 parents, paid by David Thewlis and Tony Collette, and it's like at that point, like the movie gets much more surreal in terms of uh, what's actually happening, what's not, what's in the head, and it's a lot. And then of course we're mainly in, we're in, inter, interspersed with this janitor character throughout. Um, I just kind of offhand thought about who the janitor might be in the beginning. Uh, apparently, there's more breadcrumbs to see about that identity if you rewatch it but i mean it's revealed at the end but like yeah um the, the existential nature stuff to me about I don't know, aging and being happy with who you are i don't know like i don't know if that really landed for me all that much um like you said it, it's dense it's a lot this movie mm-hmm. it's asking a lot of the audience you know about halfway through the movie i started to kind of piece together everything that was going on. And I wouldn't say I like hit the nail on the head with all of it, but I was like, okay, so and this is, I guess going to be a bit of a spoiler, but the uh, Jesse Plemons is probably the, like the avatar of this janitor who's mm-hmm. like, you know, kind of reflecting on his life in some way. Um, I think the, the psychological elements of this are pretty interesting when you go back and kind of think about, that you know uh, jesse buckley's character is not one actual person but more of this like creation of this person's loneliness um i think the line that really stood out most to me is like as you get older you either like um get married or you have the or you either get a wife or you have this wife shaped loneliness in in Mm. your heart or something like this or it was like a partner shaped loneliness and that felt kind of like the crux of the movie in a way was this person reflecting on all they've lost some self-loathing uh, seems like media has been kind of the way that they've understood their life. And, and, you know, you, you kind of, I think there's a little hints dropped in terms of some of the books and shows. And then the third act totally devolves into this, uh, you know, like dance, uh, yeah. classical dance. I don't know. It's yeah. very strange. It's like, and then it's like it's a fight. Just, yeah. And then, and then there's this performance by, uh, Jesse Plemons at this award at the end. It's so strange. Shot the it's, old makeup. Yeah. And then there's also that, um, I don't know if it's a flashback scene or like that, like fake movie trailer with Robert Zemeckis or whatever it yeah. is, which is. <laughs> really so I will say that part stood out to me. This movie yeah. was shot around my hometown. I've actually been to that diner, the red line diner oh, in Fishkill, New York. That. So that was, that was, that was cool to me. <laughs> you know, it, it's actually interesting because one of the reasons I perked up at that part after watching the boys all weekend is the girl who's like in yeah. that fake movie trailer is also uh, in Minfie. the boys. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it, I think it, if you really like sit down and think about it, all the parts make sense. But in order for this movie, I think to really work, it needs to be a movie that is enjoyable and I don't really know if I found many parts like super, super enjoyable. I found a lot of it very heavy and weird. And I actually was like, is this shit about to become like a horror film? Because like, I, I can't handle this on a Sunday night at this point. <laughs> I need something a little lighter for myself. Um, 
yeah so i guess overall we're both kind of like there's a lot here you probably have to watch two or three times to really get it right but calibrate expectations yeah it might not be the sort of thing you want to go back and watch multiple times so i'm thinking of ending things netflix it's free check it out shout out jesse buckley though she'll be joining david foolis and jesse plemons in the fargo universe in season four coming out uh this fall i gotta say all the acting in this i think is really well done so um shout out to them mulan also dropped this past weekend although it costs some money to watch you had to pay 30 dollars on disney plus which uh dave and i split that's why you uh you find friends to share your accounts with Disney. Don't Am- no, no, we didn't. Don't admit the, that publicly. <laughs> um, but directed by Nikki Caro, who yep. has directed a couple of films. Whale like Rider. Wife. Yeah, Whale Rider, McFarlane USA. You're, I'm going to give you, your friend Kai a bit of a shout out here. He tweeted and he said, Mulan was, was I. And I, I literally responded and said, yeah, it's like the definition of I. Like, if this was a gift, this would be the Alonzo morning, like me shaking my head, then me like nodding my head. Like, you know, <laughs> it was just one, kind of very of the in the middle for me. Gifts of all time. Oh, that, that's a Hall of Famer. Um, yeah. But yeah, I kind of left this movie being like, okay, it was fine. I don't know if, it, if I was paying the 30 bucks straight up, but I would have found it worth it, but it was fine. How'd you feel yeah. about it? Yeah, similarly. I think it's perfectly entertaining perfectly fine there's lots of interesting aspects about it about choices mm-hmm. in the movie of course there's a lot of politics associated with the movie at this point that which we have touched on in the past mm-hmm. um and also you know it's, it's the latest entry in these disney live action remakes of course um, last year disney was definitely was two for three with them right dumbo wasn't much of a, a hit but aladdin and especially lion king were yeah. tremendous hits of course they're two of the most popular disney renaissance film mulan is not far behind in that regard either so this was definitely anticipated um but i think it suffers from from some some, some serious faults uh and the, the meta nature to this movie is much more interesting than i think with the, the movie itself like this is more about more inspired by the, you know the traditional story of mulan the ballad yeah. of mulan right and uh, in that regard, I think it's interesting to see like, like the villains are slightly tweaked, right? Now we, now we don't have nebulous Huns, which are famous for attacking Roman, Romans, not Chinese, right, from mm-hmm. the cartoon. Now, you know, we actually have like Mongol invaders, which makes more sense, right? Right. But still, the colors, the, the, the fi- you know, fi- presence of fireworks like in the cartoon, like we're taking liberties with the, with, with, with the historical axiom, which is fine. M- Mulan's, Mulan's a myth, right? All good. But it does seem to uh, westernize a lot of things about Chinese culture still. And if you look online uh, on the Chinese uh, social media site, Duban, uh, Duhan, sorry, which is kind of like a letterbox for all kinds of media, basically it's getting, uh, getting some neg- negative pans from Chinese people, uh, probably Chinese people in other parts of the world that have access to the movie. It's um, releasing in China in theaters on September 11th this Friday um, or of course pi- pirating. And I don't think there's some concerns that Mulan will be heavily pirated uh, leading up to the theater um, release, but either way, it seems that the, the Westernization of things and kind of the overly reliance of talking about respecting your family's honor, man. Like it's like, okay, we get it. Like this is in cliche about Asian people. Like you don't have to 
hammer this home because it's also not like a foreign concept to like not disrespect your family. Like, I think we got it, you know? So I'm really serious handholding with some of that stuff. But also I think the thing that stood out to me the most was the presence of Chi mm-hmm. in this movie. You know, again, like the whole like centering Chi, like your, 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 your inner, inner like life essence or whatever, not that complicated concept. But in this movie, it's like, it's the fucking force from Star Wars all of a sudden. <laughs> and Mulan has su- like superpowers. Where the fuck mm-hmm. did that come from? And yeah. like, and that was kind of the thing with me. It's like when we're, we heard about this movie, no music. Okay, interesting. I've always said with these live action remakes, if you're going to do them, cool, make changes. I don't want to clone. At least make changes that justify its existence. At least mm-hmm. attempt to, right? No music. Okay, fine. You're really going for like the war epic, following the ballad Mulan. Cool. That, 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 that's interesting to me. And then we see, oh, there's no Mushu in this, of course. Eddie Murphy's portrayal as Mushu, very similar to lots of other Disney, like little sidekick characters, like Zazu and Yagi, no, Jimmy Pumbaa, Cricket. It's yeah. a common thing in the anime Disney movies, right? Something that come be the hero. Mm-hmm. No Mushu. Uh, maybe that kind of sucks. But yeah, they're kind of going for uh, it more, more realistic. More realistic, more traditional. Oh, never mind. Mulan's fucking magical anyway. Yep. So I think that definitely rubs people the wrong way. I did see in a, in a report that Mushu was not as popular in China as it mm-hmm. is here. I know Western audiences really have an affinity for Mushu, so I'm not, I'm not sure how, how accurate that is. But yeah, um, th- that, that thing, th- that, that kind of took me, took me out of it. And of course, the presence of uh, the witch lady, right? Mm-hmm. Who, in a sense, is an interesting character, right? But you have this person who can transform into a hawk in this movie now total new creation for this remake. This is just, just some interesting choices. I think we're not, people didn't see these coming. And it's interesting because uh, she's played by, the witch is played by who? Um, Gong Li. Yeah, one of, very, very famous Chinese superstar. And in general, the cast is loaded. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, I mean, I think in, in, the, in her, her case, right? The witch, uh, she, she, she was so obvious, right? Like it's either she's gonna, she's gonna portray the bad guy at the end and go all good or she'll die doing it. Like, mm-hmm. like her like parallel with, with, with Mulan, like how they're both kind of kindred spirits was so obvious from the jump, yep. you know? And again, this is for kids, but uh, is it, it's, it, it seemed pretty simple. <laughs> like, I, I guess as I was like watching this, I just kind of thought like, who is the target here? Like, I, I, I think what made Mulan such a, uh, a popular film of the Disney Renaissance was one. It, it had a story that was unlike most others, where the female is not, uh, you know, looking for the male to save her. You know, it's they're looking. You know, she's the the one who's fighting and actually saving the males around her. You know, she's she doesn't need someone else to give her that strength in a way. And in this, I mean, certainly that that same message is there, but like the songs the goofiness of, of mushu like all these elements i thought the, the humor i thought was a lot stronger in the animated one which i thought yeah. really made it appeal to kids I, I i don't know if this appeals to children i mean there's not really anything like there's no sing-along songs i, I think the action's okay it's inoffensive but i don't think this appeals to adults either or, yeah. or even like teenagers so like i guess i kind of feel like What's the audience that's going to be like, live action Mulan, that's mine. Like, it doesn't right. feel like it's there. I, I think in terms of the action, uh, uh, it's not Nikki Caro's strength. But there's a lot of cutting with the action, especially when it's up close. So I don't think it looks amazing. It looks fine. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I kind of wish we had less of the battle scenes. 
just because I feel like Mulan, the character, just needed more lines in this movie. Like uh-huh. she's kind of a, a weak presence to me. Like apart from when she's bonding with the other soldiers and, and of course her scenes with her father beginning and end, apart from those scenes, like I don't think that she makes an impression, which is disappointing because uh, Lee Yifei is yeah. a really famous, well-accomplished Chinese actress. You know, I think she's a really good piece of casting. They took a long time to cast Mulan in this movie, right? Like they, they actually delayed the original release date because it was taking long to get the movie started. Mm-hmm. They put a lot of pot, lot, lot, lot into this. And yet it, it just doesn't seem like she was underused. Which yeah. like, yeah. And like, she looked, she looked like a badass as Mulan. That was cool. And now that was also part of the casting process. Like she definitely mm-hmm. sells it. And that, that's certainly believable, but I, I just wish, wish she spoke more, which is kind yeah. of a weird complaint. Like we, I didn't have that complaint about men in Masood's Aladdin. You know, he, mm-hmm. he, he carries the film. Yeah, totally. And, you know, in thinking about this cast, I mean, you have Donnie Yen, uh, yeah. Jet Li, Zima. Um, yeah. Even Let's Jason go. Scott Lee. Uh, Gong, Gong Lee, I thought, was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, there's so much talent here. And there's so many people that I should be like, oh, that person killed that scene. And so much of it just fell so, like, blah to me. Like, I was like, this is fine. I'm enjoying myself kind of, but I'm also just right. a little bit like, where's, where's the music? Where's like the funny parts. Um, right. That balance didn't seem to really be there for me. And, and the thing too, is like, if you want to go really hardcore into like the, the battle the military stuff, that's cool. Like, you know, from the jump, we we're kind of getting that like wuxia, like Chinese, uh, like, you know, Kung Fu action, right? Like think of like some like crouching tiger, but like the movie isn't shot well enough with that in mind to like, kind of like really sell that stuff. Uh, funny enough, like, I didn't even recognize Jet Li as the emperor. <laughs> yeah. That's effectively stunt casting. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end, though, I did think he was going to die. I kind of liked how that played out. That subverted my expectations a little bit. Uh, and Donnie Yen. I mean, everyone likes Donnie Yen, I feel like, at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Interestingly, uh, Jiang Wen was approached to direct this movie alongside Ang Lee. Jiang Wen, of course, played bass in Rogue One. And uh, mm-hmm. alongside uh, Donnie Yen, so that would have been cool uh, Disney synergy if uh, they got the Rogue One boys back back at it again. Alas, right. did not 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 come <laughs> to uh, pass. Um, yeah, man, um, I, I perked up when Donnie Yen said "Tranquil as a Forest, but on Fire Within" from <laughs> "Make a Man Out of You," the best Mulan song. Um, you still get reflection in this briefly in the movie itself, and of course in the credits. That's the other really popular song from the movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely disappointed. That's for sure. Yeah, the, you know, just to touch on the music real quick, they did have instrumental versions playing behind some of the scenes where the songs would have been in the animated yeah. film. But I think overall, um, the shift away from it being a uh, real remake into its own kind of version, just uh, I, I don't think it really worked to the level that they were going for. It feels right. like it was just very, it's a very Disney thing, you know, like they didn't want to take a risk too far one way or too far the other. Um, and they just kind of made a very down the middle movie. It's kind of what Solo, the same story with Solo, where it was going to be this very True. out there type movie. And then they were like, no, let's rein mm-hmm. it back in and put it a little more down the middle. So yeah. it's Disney, you know, they don't want to hurt the brand. Yeah. Uh, shout out at the end, Ming-Na Wen makes a cameo. She of course mm-hmm. was the voice of the original Mulan. That, yep. uh, I actually did catch that. That was, that was fun to see. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like, you remember in the beginning, you get this, like, really, honestly, really pretty, pretty shot of Mulan, was it on a horse, watching these rabbits run? Yeah. Like, the whole comment to her dad and her family is how, like, she couldn't tell who the male rabbit was from the female rabbit when they're running together. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that parallel and idea about Mulan as, you know, she's competent and happens to be a woman. Like, it, for some reason, that didn't, like, come across to me as well as it could have. I feel like that, that idea lands way better in the animated version. Um, yeah, I agree. Also, in this live-action one, it, it's way less convincing that Mulan is, like, going to be pretend to be a man and everyone's going to believe it. Like, I, I, maybe that's just Yafei's natural beauty as, as a real person versus an animated character. But for some reason, it's like, yeah, it still kind of looks a little feminine here. Like, yep, the whole he, time. Yeah, I did like that she doesn't kiss the uh, soldier. She was kind of eye-fucking at the end because I feel like that wasn't actually earned yet. It's kind of like set up for a sequel that won't happen, you know? But right. like, it seems like they, and apparently they, they actually changed their mind. They actually did kiss and test audiences didn't like it, so they changed it. I think that was the right call there. Um, yeah, though, it's, um, there's just so, there's so much to talk about, like, this just choices you know and you hate to do that with movies but that's that's the case so we've previously talked about all the po- political stuff with hong kong in uh-huh. terms of this movie you can check that out on uh youtube.com slash nostalgia pod stay plugging Mulan, that's the video name um we talked about that last year but i think our thoughts are pretty similar on that um it's complicated and it's certainly not going to be going away but um i'm interested to see how this movie does in china and how that chinese reception continues to be because this is a movie that the Chinese government wants to promote, you know, and the Hong mm-hmm. Kong uh, loyalists are are very much against. So interesting how that plays out. It's not not yet concluded. Well, Dave, I think that's going to do it for us. Go watch Mulan if you have the funds. I'm thinking of ending things. Maybe watch, and then the boys definitely check out as well as the music, which you can catch our favorite songs from the projects we talked about: Detroit Two, Tattle Tales, and Renaissance on our Nostalgia Best of 2020 playlist, which is on Spotify. And what should people be checking out for next week, David? Two, two notable new HBO shows, the third day miniseries with Jude Law. That should be enough for you. And also, We Are Who We Are, this new HBO show from Luca Guadagnino. Very exciting. Ah. And we'll also be doing our Emmy predictions because the Emmys are right around the corner. Damn. So, there we go. Again... YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod, SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod, and at NostalgiaPod on Twitter. We'll catch you next week. Yeah.